Jonathan Edwards, in the introduction containing explanations of terms and general positions, embarks upon a theological and philosophical examination into the purposes underlying God's act of creation. His introduction is careful and methodical, with the objective of establishing a common framework for the terms that will be pivotal in the ensuing discourse. The clarity of these terms is paramount for the reader to navigate the complexities of divine intention and the nature of ends and actions. Beginning with the term chief end, Edwards identifies it as the principal goal or the highest priority that an agent seeks when performing an action. Unless this end is stated explicitly, understanding a person's or entity's motives can be elusive. The chief end reflects an intrinsic value, something sought after for its own worth or sake. Edwards juxtaposes chief end with ultimate end, a term that carries nuanced differences. An ultimate end is definitive or final in sequence, but does not necessarily align with the highest-ranking goal or priority. It represents the culmination of a series of objectives, beyond which the agent has no further aims. Thus, while all chief ends are ultimate in nature, not all ultimate ends claim the status of being chief. The concept of subordinate end introduces another layer to this discussion. Edwards presents this as a goal that holds no significant value on its own, but gains importance through its relation to another, higher goal. It is the means to an end, rather than an end in itself. Edwards illustrates this with the everyday example of a man traveling to procure medicine. This action, seeking medicine, is not driven by a desire for the object itself, the medicine, but for the benefit it provides, which is health. Devoid of this connection, the pursuit of the medicine holds no significance. Through these careful distinctions, Edwards sets the stage for a deeper analysis of divine purpose. By delineating the hierarchy of ends, chief, ultimate, and subordinate, Edwards seeks to provide a structured approach to understanding complex theological arguments about why God created the world, preparing the reader for a more intricate examination of God's ultimate objectives and their implications for human understanding. Also, Edwards, in his exploration of human motivation and action, delineates a crucial distinction between what he coins as ultimate ends and subordinate ends. Ultimate ends are those final objectives or goals that individuals pursue for the sheer satisfaction or inherent value they provide. These ends are desired not as stepping stones to achieve something else, but are valued in and of themselves, for the innate pleasure or fulfillment they bring to the individual. Edwards elucidates that an ultimate end is akin to a person enjoying the taste of a particular fruit purely for the sensation it brings. The pleasure derived from tasting the fruit is not instrumental in obtaining some other benefit. The experience of pleasure is the goal itself. Thus, the individual values this enjoyment for its own merit, akin to a thirst for personal contentment or joy that is quenched by no other means than the end in question. Conversely, Edwards sheds light on what he refers to as subordinate ends. These are intermediate or means to an end, part of a larger chain of objectives that lead to the ultimate end. He illustrates this concept through a farmer's actions, selling a garment to acquire money, using the money to purchase tools, the tools to till the land, and so on, until finally producing a crop. 
Each action is not an end in itself, but serves as a conduit to the next, creating a cascade of subordinate ends. The act of selling a garment is not for the love of trade, but is a means towards the acquisition of tools. Similarly, tilling the land is not an end, but a necessary step to grow a crop. This progressive chain of ends continues until it culminates in the ultimate end, which in Edward's example is the gratification of hunger. Here, the act of eating is valued for the direct satisfaction it brings. All prior steps, from selling the garment to harvesting the crop, are merely subsidiary, each serving a function in reaching that final, ultimate end where the farmer finds direct and intrinsic pleasure, the consummation of his efforts. Moreover, Edwards delves into the philosophical concept of ultimate ends, the final objectives or goals toward which human actions are directed. An ultimate end, as he defines it, is an outcome or goal that is sought for its intrinsic value and not as a stepping stone toward another aim. It is the point at which an individual's desire or motivation comes to a halt because it achieves fulfillment or satisfaction. Edwards elucidates the idea that ultimate ends can vary in complexity and in their position within a chain of goals. An ultimate end can be the culmination of a long series of interconnected actions or desires. Nevertheless, the complexity of the chain does not detract from the nature of the ultimate end. If it is the final goal that is intrinsically satisfying, it retains its status as an ultimate end. Conversely, an ultimate end might also be immediate, involving no intermediary steps at all. For example, when a person eats honey purely for the enjoyment of its taste, the immediate pleasure derived from the taste is both an immediate and an ultimate end. There is no further benefit sought from the act of eating honey beyond the sensory pleasure it provides. Yet, Edwards expands on the idea that while some ends are purely ultimate, sought after for their own sake, there can be instances where an ultimate end also serves as an intermediate end in a longer chain of goals. In these cases, a goal is pursued both for the immediate satisfaction it provides and for the instrumental role it plays in reaching further ends. For example, a person may seek the admiration and love of another individual, finding inherent pleasure in being esteemed and loved. This feeling is an ultimate end in itself. However, this relationship may also be valued as a means to secure the other person's help in future endeavors, such as receiving their assistance or gaining leverage for even more ambitious objectives down the line. Through his discussion, Edwards emphasizes the multifaceted nature of human motivation, indicating that our actions are often driven by complex networks of desires. Some of these desires are sought after for the immediate and intrinsic pleasure they grant, while others are more strategically pursued, with our sights set on the additional ends they may help us reach. Through this intricate interplay of goals, both ultimate and subsidiary, we navigate our pursuit of satisfaction and achievement in life. Furthermore, Edwards offers a nuanced understanding of human motivation by differentiating between ultimate ends and chief ends. He posits that chief ends have a more profound value to the individual compared to inferior or subordinate ends, and are thus pursued with greater intent. Edwards accentuates that an ultimate end isn't solely defined by being the most valued, but by being an end sought for its own sake. He elaborates on this by presenting two key points. 
Firstly, he suggests that a person can have multiple ultimate ends, which they value for their inherent qualities, rather than as means to other ends. Within these ultimate ends, one can be considered a chief end. This is because, although both ends are desired for their own sake, the chief end holds a more significant place in the agent's heart. For example, a person traveling may seek the pleasure of using an innovative optical instrument and the joy of uniting with a beloved partner. Both ends are pursued because of their intrinsic value, but the emotional attachment to the partner may make this the chief end. Secondly, Edwards contends that an ultimate end does not inherently possess the status of a chief end. He clarifies that subordinate ends can sometimes take precedence over ultimate ends when they are pursued more vigorously due to their instrumental value. To illustrate this, he describes a scenario where a man travels with two purposes, visiting friends and receiving money. Here, visiting friends is an ultimate end since the visit is valued for the pure enjoyment it brings. However, receiving money, while a subservient goal since it is not valued for itself, might become the chief end if the traveler values it more, due to its potential to enable further pleasures and honors. From Edward's perspective, therefore, the distinction between ultimate ends and chief ends lies in the relative value an individual places on various outcomes, regardless of whether they're sought for their own sake or as means to other ends. It reveals human behavior as intricate, with motivations often structured in a hierarchy of ends, each with its significance and desirability, shaping decision-making and actions. In addition, Edwards, in his philosophical exposition on the nature of ends, affirms a critical conceptual differentiation regarding the value assigned to subordinate and ultimate ends. He elucidates this with the principle that a subordinate end is never prized more highly than the ultimate end to which it is instrumental. The term subordinate end itself implies that its significance lies not in its intrinsic worth, but in its role as a means to achieve a higher, more consequential purpose, referred to as the ultimate end. For instance, Edwards illustrates his point by considering an individual who undertakes a journey with the explicit objective of acquiring money. In this scenario, the acquisition of money serves as the subordinate end. However, the true driving force behind the desire for money is not the currency itself, but rather the anticipated pleasure and social honor it will enable one to attain. These represent the ultimate ends. In this context, it would be nonsensical to place greater value on the subordinate end, money, over the ultimate ends, pleasure and honor, given that the sole reason for valuing the money is due to the ultimate ends it is expected to facilitate. Nonetheless, Edwards clarifies that the valuation of ends is not a straightforward hierarchy, where subordinate ends are universally considered lesser than any ultimate ends. He posits that while a subordinate end cannot surpass its corresponding ultimate end in terms of value, it is entirely plausible for it to be held in higher esteem than some other ultimate end to which it has no direct connection. For example, the money, a subordinate end, accumulated from the journey may be deemed more important than the enjoyment and companionship of a friendly visit, another ultimate end, associated with the same journey but unrelated to the pursuit of money. In elaborating these distinctions, 
Edwards provides insight into the nuanced manner by which humans assign value to their objectives. It becomes clear that the relative importance of ends stems not from a simple linear hierarchy, but from a more complex matrix of purposeful relationships and individual valuations of disparate goals. By understanding the interplay of subordinate and ultimate ends and their respective values, one gains a deeper comprehension of human motivation and the diverse goals that guide behavior. Further, in his exploration of human motivations and objectives, Edwards dives into the intricate relationship between ultimate goals and the means by which we seek to achieve them. According to Edwards, there is a general rule that our ultimate end, the final goal we aim to fulfill, is held in higher regard than the intermediate steps or subordinate ends we pursue along the way. However, this rule is subject to a significant exception. When the ultimate end is absolutely reliant on a particular means, so much so that it cannot be achieved without it, then that means may be valued as highly as the end itself. To exemplify this principle, Edwards presents the analogy of a pregnant woman who is driven by an intense craving for a specific fruit that is rare and only accessible in the garden of a friend who lives far away. The woman's overarching desire is to satisfy her craving, making this the ultimate end of her actions. The act of traveling to her friend's garden and obtaining the fruit is an intermediate or subordinate end. If the fruit is the only item that can fulfill her need, and she is certain that it will do so, then she will assign as much importance to acquiring the fruit as she does to the satisfaction of her craving. However, this valuation is variable and contingent on certain factors. Should the woman doubt whether the fruit will adequately satisfy her craving, or if she knows of other fruits that might also meet her need to some extent, the value she places on that particular fruit will diminish. Similarly, if her craving cannot be completely satisfied by the fruit alone, but requires additional elements, her investment in the ultimate goal, satisfying the craving, will be distributed among the various components needed to achieve it. This process naturally downplays the importance of any single subordinate end, as the ultimate end rarely hinges on a solo, uncompounded means with a guaranteed outcome. Edwards posits that people's ultimate goals are generally their most significant pursuits. This is because achieving these ends typically involves complex and sometimes uncertain paths, rather than a straightforward correlation with a solitary and invariably successful means. In most circumstances, then, the value one places on subordinate ends is proportional to their perceived efficacy and exclusivity in relation to one's ultimate objectives. Besides, Edwards articulates the concept that when a being directs all of its varied actions towards one ultimate goal, this single end must be recognized as the being's supreme end. This idea rests on the understanding that any entity with a multitude of operations, yet governed by a singular ultimate purpose, demonstrates that every other objective it might have is secondary and serving this primary goal. These secondary goals are not ends in themselves, but are valued only insofar as they contribute to the attainment of the ultimate end. The logic Edwards presents dictates that a subordinate end, by definition, holds lesser importance than the end to which it is subordinated. This notion underpins a hierarchical ordering of goals or ends, with the primary or ultimate end at the top, 
and all subsidiary ends arranged below, each evaluated according to its effectiveness in furthering the ultimate aim, in terms of the multiplicity of operations and consequences that serve as means to an end, Edwards claims each of these means, despite their variety, is united in their collective purpose to realize the one ultimate goal. These means, with their diverse natures and functions, are only significant in this joint capacity. And since they are innumerable and multifaceted, it follows logically that the single end they serve must be esteemed above any one of them on its own. Thus, deriving from this logical structure, the supreme worth and preeminence of the ultimate goal is affirmed. Edwards posits that this framework of understanding a being's actions and ends is applicable to the divine nature of God's workings. He alludes to a more in-depth examination of this premise, suggesting a theological exploration into the nature of God's ultimate aim. Presumably, this further analysis would dig into how all elements of the cosmos, despite their disparity, collectively strive to fulfill God's singular supreme purpose, thereby resulting in a cohesive and ordered universe where the complex tapestry of means speaks to the grandeur of the intended end. Additionally, Edwards elaborates on the concept of the last end as a central tenet in human motivation and behavior. According to Edwards, the term last end refers to the ultimate goal or objective that an agent, be it an individual or another entity, seeks for its intrinsic value or pleasure. This contrasts with subordinate goals, which are those that are pursued not for their own sake, but as means to achieve other ends. For Edwards, whenever an agent chooses to do something that is inherently pleasurable or satisfactory, this action or objective is treated as the last end. It stands as the principal motivation behind the action because it is valued for the joy or contentment it brings in and of itself, without regard for any further utility or purpose. This intrinsic value or satisfaction is key to qualifying something as a last end. Similarly, when it comes to the aversion of pain or discomfort, Edwards asserts that avoiding something unpleasant is inherently satisfying. Thus, the avoidance of displeasure can also signify a last end. An agent seeks to escape discomfort not because of some other attendant benefit, but rather because the state of not being in discomfort is itself desirable and satisfying. Edwards is highlighting the distinction between ultimate and instrumental goals. In the landscape of human desires and actions, a clear line is drawn between what is sought for inherent fulfillment, which is the last end, and what is aimed at as merely a tool or stepping stone toward some other aim, which constitutes a subordinate goal. He invites reflection on the notion that every conscious action performed by an agent is ultimately aimed at achieving some form of agreeableness or satisfaction. This perspective hinges on the understanding that agents inherently seek to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Furthermore, Edwards implies that comprehending an agent's last end provides insight into the fundamental drives and motivations of that agent, shaping their behavior and the decisions they make in pursuit of what they ultimately find agreeable or desirable for its own sake. This concept is foundational to Edwards's exploration of human nature and ethics, 
indicating that at the root of all our actions lies our quest for inherent satisfaction or our last end. Also, Edwards examines the intricacies of an agent's pursuit of their ultimate goals. He propounds that if an agent harbors affection and takes pleasure in several outcomes that will come about through their actions, then it logically follows that the agent maintains multiple ends that they consider ultimate. That is to say, if there is a variety of things that, by their nature, the agent finds compelling and seeks to achieve for their inherent value, there must be more than one ultimate end driving their actions. On the other hand, if an agent's actions are aimed at achieving a solitary outcome that they cherish purely for its own sake, a single element that is inherently attractive to them, then it stands to reason that in all the agent's endeavors, there exists only one ultimate end. It is this singular ultimate goal that forms the crux of all the agent's operations and endeavors, shaping the motivation behind each action they undertake. However, Edwards introduces a pivotal distinction that must be acknowledged when assessing the agreeableness of certain things to an agent. This distinction is twofold. The first category consists of things that an agent finds agreeable in themselves, esteemed solely based on their intrinsic qualities. Such elements are valued absolutely, independent of any preconditions or circumstantial considerations. They are cherished simply and unconditionally, as their desirability is not contingent upon any hypothetical scenarios. The second category pertains to things that may be conditionally agreeable to an agent, predicated on the presence of certain situations or the fulfillment of specific conditions. Here, the desirability is context-dependent. It emerges hypothetically or consequentially. It is agreeable to the agent not in a vacuum, but on the supposition of particular circumstances coming to pass. This nuanced distinction is crucial in delineating what constitutes an ultimate end for an agent. Edwards suggests that comprehending these categories is essential to appreciate fully the complexities of an agent's motivations, as it distinguishes between what is valued as an ultimate end in and of itself, and what is valued based on a set of contingent circumstances. Moreover, Edwards explores the evolution of what motivates human behavior, specifically within the framework of family and society, illustrating that initial intentions can transform as life circumstances change. Initially, Edwards proposes that a man might be drawn to the idea of a family out of an inherent appreciation for society and the comfort it provides. This natural predilection for companionship is not derived from experience, but is an intrinsic aspect of his being, and it spurs him to seek out the establishment of his family. The notion of societal comfort then becomes his ultimate objective, or last end, as he pursues this path. Furthermore, Edwards examines how once the man has established his family, his conceptualization of his last end undergoes a transformation. The functional harmony within the family, characterized by mutual peace, good order, justice, and friendship, gains intrinsic value in the man's eyes. These attributes, which were not his underpinning objective at the outset when he sought to create a family, evolve into his principal ends. He now takes delight in these virtues for their own sake, and they inspire and guide his actions in the governance and stewardship of his family's life. 
Edwards suggests that the man's original aim, therefore, becomes a catalyst for a deeper set of values that arise after the family is in place. The newly cherished goals of maintaining familial harmony and well-being now drive his behavior and redefine his purpose. Edwards's discussion maintains the dynamic nature of human goals and motivations. It reflects on the idea that what we initially seek can lead us to discover new fulfilling aspirations that perhaps hold greater significance in our lives than the original aims. As our life circumstances change, so too do our perceptions of what is ultimately significant, and this reevaluation can redefine the course of our actions and our understanding of what we consider to be our ultimate ends. In addition, Edwards contemplates the motivations behind God's act of creation, suggesting that before the universe was brought into being, God must have envisaged a form of inherent goodness that the existence of the world would fulfill. This perfect good was alluring to God and influenced his decision to create, yet it was not the result of God's virtue of justice or righteousness. Post-creation, once the universe and intelligent creatures within it existed, God's intrinsic justice became relevant, dictating that he manage his creation wisely and justly. This notion stems from God's inherent love of justice and his abhorrence of injustice, which would naturally impel God to act fairly towards his creatures. However, Edwards is keen to clarify that these attributes, God's love of justice and disdain for injustice, were not the original catalysts for the creation of the world and the beings within it, Rather, they are attributes that find their expression once the stage is set and the actors, intelligent beings, are in place. Edwards explores the character of God by discussing the divine quality of faithfulness, the predilection to fulfill promises made to creations. He posits that while God's faithfulness might govern his dealings with the world after its creation, promising to honor commitments and maintain providence, it cannot be deemed the primal motive that ignited the spark of creation. Although once the world exists and God's promises are made, his faithfulness may influence many of his providential actions. But these outcomes are not the core purpose of the world's inception. In essence, Edwards interprets that while God's justice, faithfulness, and truth are necessary responses post-creation, they are secondary to the initial impulse that led to the universe's existence. God's ultimate reason for creation transcends these attributes, which become applicable only in the subsequent governance and maintenance of the world and its inhabitants. The true reason for creation lies in a perfect good, a higher purpose that predates and outstrips the later applications of divine attributes like justice and faithfulness. Thus, God may have secondary or lower-tier ultimate ends for particular acts of providence— but these are distinct from and subordinate to the ultimate ends of creation itself. Further, Edwards introduces two nuanced categories of ultimate ends. The first category, referred to as original and independent ends, encapsulates those purposes or goals that are intrinsic and stand on their own merits. These ends are not contingent upon any subsequent outcomes or external circumstances. They have inherent worth and are pursued for their own sake— as they embody a fundamental goodness or desirability that does not depend on any external justification. The original ultimate end is an absolute objective that is valued independently of any other outcomes it might produce. 
Edwards illuminates this concept by using the example of a righteous being who finds the execution of justice inherently agreeable. In such a case, the act of dispensing justice does not require further goals to establish its value. It is valuable in its own existence, reflecting the agent's intrinsic moral orientation. The very nature of this action resonates with the righteousness of the agent and fulfills an inherent need or aspect of their character. Conversely, Edwards describes consequential and dependent ultimate ends, which arise from a set of conditions or a particular context. These ends, though they are still considered ultimate in their desirability and worth, gain their significance from the existence of specific circumstances. For example, the urge to carry out justice between two conflicting parties emerges only when those parties and the situation necessitating mediation are in place. In such a scenario, the end is ultimate because it remains a fundamentally desirable outcome within the given context, independent of any further aims. In his further discourse, particularly when discussing God's purpose behind the creation of the world, Edwards points out that he is most commonly referring to God's pursuit of an original ultimate end. This distinction points to a concept of divine motivation that aligns with the highest order of purpose, one that is self-originating and not derivative of any contingency. It reflects the idea that God's reason for creation is not tied to a chain of cause and effect or to achieving something beyond itself. Instead, it suggests that the act of creation is grounded in an original ultimate end, signifying that it is an expression of God's own perfect nature and comprehensive plan, an end that is complete and self-sufficient in its own existence. Besides, Edwards postulates about the ultimate purpose of God in creating the world and defines the relationship between this ultimate end and all that God does with respect to the world and its inhabitants. According to Edwards, the original intent behind the creation of the universe is not only the foremost, but remains the foundational framework for all of God's subsequent actions. In other words, the principal aim with which God created the world is the end that continuously and universally governs all divine dealings. This concept brings forth the idea that the creation of the universe was not an arbitrary act, but one deeply rooted in purpose. The ultimate end which Edwards discusses is both the starting point and the constant goal that underpins God's interaction with the world. These consequential ends, no matter how complex or diverse they might appear, can be traced back to the initial reason for the world's existence. This indicates that there is an overarching divine plan, a master blueprint that governs the course of events through time. Edwards suggests that whatever God's ultimate end is, whether it be the manifestation of His glory, the expression of His goodness, or a purpose known only to Him, it persists as the dominant theme in the divine narrative. The fact that the ultimate end is said to be more original than any other also denotes that it is the most intrinsic and unchanging of all God's purposes. It is neither an afterthought nor subordinate to any other objective— the universality and extensiveness of the original end reiterates its significance. Not only does it maintain a primary role in the initial act of creation, but it also retains a governing influence in God's continual providence and works. It is a purpose that, according to Edwards, maintains a constant presence and directionality, 
ensuring that every divine interaction with the world aligns with the fulfillment of this ultimate aim. This thought reflects a worldview in which all of history and every aspect of creation are part of a divinely ordained tapestry, woven with intention from its very inception and continually guided by that same intention. Additionally, Edwards, in his contemplation of divine purpose, differentiates two interpretations of the term ultimate end. The term can represent either the supreme aim that encompasses all actions attributed to the divine or lesser, immediate objectives relevant to distinct acts of providence. In the most profound sense, the ultimate end corresponds to the singular and highest intention behind all of God's undertakings. This interpretation suggests a unifying purpose that interlinks the actions of creation with those of providence. If one were to presume that there is just a single overarching end to all of God's work, then it necessitates that every individual act by God, a careful arrangement of stars, the minutia of a life's journey, the grand narrative of a nation, is a stride towards the fulfillment of that principal objective. Edwards insists on viewing God as both a deliberate creator and an engaged preserver. That God, being the architect of the universe, aligns the function and employment of every creation with the intentions for which they were spawned. Such a teleological view ascribes to God a persistent mindfulness of his ultimate purpose in every act of creation and in the subsequent shepherding of these creations throughout time. On the other hand, the ultimate end might also simply refer to more immediate goals, targets within God's wider strategy. In the context of specific actions, particularly those of providence, which encompasses the maintenance and governance of the world post-creation, God may choose ends that appear ultimate. These ends are significant in their own right and within their specific context, but are not synonymous with the absolute, ultimate aim of creation. In essence, Edwards repeats a divine consistency, painting a portrait of God whose every maneuver is a testament to an unwavering commitment to an ultimate aim. By recognizing the dual sense of ultimate end, one can appreciate the nuances in God's work, from the grandiose scale of creation to the intricate details managed through providence, each reflecting meticulous attention to the ultimate purpose, as well as adaptability in addressing immediate and situational objectives within the grand schema. Also, Edwards presents the argument that the ends God seeks through his general providence reflect his ultimate intention in the creation of the world. Essentially, Edwards posits that while God might pursue immediate or specific goals in isolated acts of providence, goals that are not directly the ultimate reason for creation, these are only of secondary importance and have their place within certain temporal conditions or emergent contexts. Thus, he distinguishes between subordinate ends that may be ultimate within a particular scenario and the supreme end that underlines all of creation. Edwards reasons that the continuous general use of the world should serve as a significant indicator of the primary end for which it was created— this ongoing pattern of utilizing creation suggests a consistency in God's actions that transcends the variability of specific events or circumstances. If we can observe ends that are consistently treated as ultimate in the general framework of providence, 
We are observing something that is intrinsically tied to the very nature and order of the universe, not something that is dependent on changing situations. According to Edwards, if certain ends are pursued by God as ultimate across his providence, it must be that these ends are woven into the fabric of the world's design. They are not merely preferable outcomes that emerge from particular incidents. Rather, they reveal a glimpse into God's ultimate purpose in creation, a purpose that is rooted in the steadfast character of God and his overarching will for the universe. This insight into divine intentionality underscores a belief in the coherent alignment between the created world and the divine character. Edwards' argument encourages us to study the broad strokes of providence to better understand divine intent. He implies that the character of God's management of the world reflects a consistent and ultimate objective, which can shed light on the fundamental reasons for creation itself, revealing the ultimate end that originates from the nature and will of God. Last but not least, Edwards probes into the philosophical and theological exploration of God's purposes in creating the world. He poses a contemplative premise regarding the nature of divine intention. If there exists only one thing that is fundamentally good and pleasing to God, which does not depend on any potential future conditions, then there must be a singular ultimate end or purpose to God's creation. This sole purpose is inherently valuable and completely independent, serving as the cornerstone for the existence of all created things. It suggests a monolithic finality to God's plan, where all of creation is directed towards a single preeminent goal that reflects what is innately satisfactory to God's nature. On the contrary, Edwards considers the possibility that there might exist a variety of things that are independently agreeable to the divine nature, and that these things are truly realized in the act of creation. If this were the case, it implies a plurality of ultimate ends, a series of self-sufficient and distinct purposes, each individually aligning with God's nature. These multiple purposes would not be means to achieving some other end, but would each be an end in themselves, collectively encompassing the multitude of reasons for which the world was brought into existence. This presents a multifaceted vision of God's design, where the universe serves not just one ultimate purpose, but several, each with its inherent worth and independent of the others. Edwards's contemplation is rooted in a desire to understand the divine motivation at a profound level. His analysis puts forth a framework for contemplating the ultimate why of the universe's existence, whether it is a unique, all-encompassing goal or an array of distinct, absolute ends. By investigating the intrinsic values that may hold divine approval, Edwards seeks to discern the foundational aspects of God's will as they pertain to the creation. These reflections not only offer insight into the potential purposes behind the cosmos, but also invite a deeper inquiry into the nature and character of God as the creator with either a singular or diverse set of ultimate intentions. In conclusion, Edwards explores the underlying reasons for God's creative actions, delving into the philosophical intricacies of ends, which he categorizes as ultimate and subordinate. Ultimate ends refer to goals pursued for their intrinsic value, sought for the sheer enjoyment or satisfaction they provide, while subordinate ends are means to achieve these higher goals. Moreover, 
Edwards posits that all chief ends are ultimate, but distinguishes among ultimate ends. Some ultimate ends offer immediate pleasure and are valued for themselves. Others also serve as intermediate means toward further ends, reflecting the layered complexity of human desires and motivations. By emphasizing the diversity within these motivations, Edwards accentuates how our actions are often guided by a tapestry of overlapping goals, entwining immediate and long-term aspirations. Furthermore, when considering divine motives, Edwards introduces the notion of an original ultimate end, which is an inherent good, pursued for its own sake. Contrasting with subordinate ends, which hold significance only in relation to the ultimate end they facilitate, original ultimate ends are independent and central to the being's purpose. Edwards links consistent ends within God's general providence as possible indicators to the ultimate intention for creation, suggesting that these reveal God's persistent goals and inform our understanding of creation's raison d'etre. In addition, Edwards speculates on the nature of God's intent, proposing if one singular good exists in the divine perspective, all of creation should serve this unique ultimate end. Alternatively, if multiple things independently align with God's nature, the world may fulfill an array of ultimate ends. This multifaceted vision of God's plan presents a universe crafted to satisfy not one but several divine intentions, each having intrinsic worth. In sum, Edwards's work diligently dissects the web of motives and actions that underpin human and divine behavior, grappling with the profound question of existential purpose. His analytical approach lays a foundation for understanding the richly layered drives behind every pursuit of satisfaction and achievement, painting a theological vista where complexity and intentionality intersect at the heart of all creation.